0: Welcome back to Northway's D-Group Podcast. I'm your host, Rodney Mills, and I'm so glad that you stopped by to visit. We're on a quest here, ladies and gentlemen. We're trying to discover what it means to love, live, and lead like Jesus. We're apprenticing our lives to His. And over the last few sessions, we've been talking about living like Jesus. And specifically, we've been looking at the spiritual disciplines and practices that lead to the kind of character Jesus followers are to be pursuing. We've talked about the basics of prayer and Bible interaction, self-examination and gratitude, and we've also talked about practices that lead to a pace of peace, disciplines of slowing and pausing, stopping, and even fasting. But this week, I want to lay some groundwork for a couple of other practices that we see in the life of Christ, practices of simplicity and frugality. You don't hear much about them usually, but hang in there with me and let's talk about The Unencumbered Life. So let's not start in the Gospels just yet, but to the letter to the Hebrews where the writer is encouraging us to keep moving forward in our faith journey with Jesus as our primary example, apprenticing our lives to His. Here it is from the traditional reading in the New King James Version. This is chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 12. Uh, No, I'm sorry, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, just for a little bit of clarity and maybe even some added emphasis, let me read that a little bit, uh, at least part of it, from uh, the Amplified Version. This is verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. Now, this idea of stripping off every unnecessary weight is where we're going to be spending the majority of our time today as we talk about the unencumbered life. So we'll come back to that in just a moment. Let's think for a moment through what the writer might have had in mind as he's using this analogy about the race that's set before us. Over the last few years, I've been racing in several half marathons. I like to keep these longer distance races on the calendar because... I know that in order to be ready for those, I really have to keep up my fitness. In fact, my kids got me a really cool wall display for all my finisher medals with this very verse on it, keep running the race that is set before you with endurance. Now to get through these triathlons, these half marathons, I can't slack off. I mean, Sure, there's a finish line in one sense. That's part of the goal. But for me, the real goal is for health and fitness to be a lifestyle. Race day and the finish line even, they're simply the evidence or the proof of a day in and day out life of commitment to being healthy. And so the way I think about it, I'm actually running the race every day. And then throughout the year, I get these little celebrations of my ongoing commitment to my healthy lifestyle. So put even more clearly, I have a vision of what my fitness looks like, and so I rearrange my calendar, my daily schedule, my whole lifestyle to run this physical race that is set before me. So what about the race set before us that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? I mean, surely the race that he has in mind is more than individuals just trying to survive and stay out of trouble just long enough to make it across the finish line into heaven. No way, friend. His race is an all-encompassing life vision for the people of God based on the life and teachings of Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. That's why he says in verse 2, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's been our major objective for this series, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus. We're giving up our preconceived ideas of what life is all about, and we're looking to Christ alone to show us his way. And then listen to verse 3. Again, this is from the Amplified Version. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider that all in comparison with your own trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now listen to the beginning of that verse again. Just consider... And meditate on him. And that's what we're doing. We're considering and we're meditating on Christ. Focusing our eyes on Jesus. We're talking about what it means to love, live, and lead like Jesus. And this is the vision for the race we need to run. You could even say this one with me, I'm sure. The aim of my life is to be like Christ. We've got to get this clear in our minds. Christ calls us out of our old life and invites us into an apprenticeship with him to learn from him how we are to live our lives under his reign in the kingdom now. This is a radical call, too. I mean, here's Matthew 16, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and we've heard this a bunch over the last few weeks. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me, because if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Listen to those words carefully, because obviously they're not mine. I'm, I'm not trying to manipulate the scripture. This is Jesus himself clarifying to us what the life of the disciple looks like. You must give up your own way. You can't try to hang on to your own life. In fact, he says, give up your life for my sake. So to understand the race that is set before us, as the writer of Hebrews would have in mind, is this. It's a life lived in total abandon to Christ as leader. Our character reshaped to reflect his heart of agape love and our actions rooted in his kingdom purposes, overcoming evil with good. Well, I know that's a lot, but so let me say it again. This is the vision that the writer of Hebrews would have had in mind, the life of Christ. It's a life lived in total abandon to Christ as leader, our character reshaped to reflect his heart of agape love, and our actions rooted in his kingdom purposes, overcoming evil with good. And so, in essence, the race he's talking about is the disciple's priority that we've talked about so many times, seeking kingdom righteousness. Now listen to me real carefully here, because the vision that any early follower of Christ would have had for this race is not a life that squeaks into heaven on the bare minimum requirements. It's a life that is sold out the whole route to an apprenticed life in the kingdom, as we learn in the life and teachings of Christ. And so now, having clarified that actual vision for this life race that is set before us, I really want to zoom in on this familiar little phrase, let us lay aside every weight or even as it's paraphrased in the Living Bible, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. And here's the crux of the message I want to challenge you with as we approach our next couple of spiritual disciplines. What is it that keeps you from going all in? What gets in the way? What weighs you down? What holds you back? As we apprentice our lives to Jesus, I'd like to present his vision for the unencumbered life. Now, this word encumber, it's defined in the dictionary in a few different ways. The first one is to impede or to hinder, to hamper or retard, such as red tape encumbers all our attempts to action. Encumber could also mean to burden or to weigh down. She was encumbered with a suitcase and several packages. And encumber can even be uh, mean something like this, to burden with obligations like debt, etc. Those are dictionary definitions. So, to be encumbered is to be weighed down, hindered, and burdened. And so, therefore, to lay aside every weight that slows us down or holds us back from living the Jesus way is to live the unencumbered life. That's our big idea today. To lay aside every weight that slows us down or holds us back from living the Jesus way is to live the unencumbered life. Now again, let's take another quick look at the invitation that Jesus gave us to take up our cross in Matthew 16. Obviously, we've referenced this several times already in our study, and as it stands, as one of the clearest invitations of Christ into his kingdom life. And it's also our theme verse at the top of the Jesus Wade grid in the front of your D-Group journal. Matthew sixteen twenty four. then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross, follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding around that passage. Uh, you might think it means What good does it do to acquire a bunch of money or partake in a lot of sensual pleasures if you just end up in hell? But I think Jesus is actually talking more about a diagnosis than he is a destination. He's talking about disorientation, a disconnected and disoriented soul where the will and the mind and the body are, are at odds with the way God intended the world to operate, the way life should be and can be lived in the kingdom. You see, acquiring the whole world could not even produce satisfaction, let alone meaning and goodness. Thus, Jesus is saying that all this striving, all this effort to find fulfillment and acceptance outside of his loving provision, all the effort to acquire and achieve, that can so easily prevent us from reorienting our lives to him. Our stuff gets in the way. We substitute God's order for our own. And it doesn't take much for us to get wrapped up in our stuff and the way it makes us feel. That's an interesting turn of phrase, too, to be wrapped up. Could we also say bound up or tied up? Or could we even say encumbered by it? And he's saying if you succeed at getting everything you wanted, your soul is still disoriented. And there's nothing about you personally that is more valuable than your soul. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, he says? Now, we probably here in the West have no idea how impacted we are by the pervasiveness of consumerism. We've come to expect that we deserve whatever we want, whenever we want it, and exactly the way we want it. There's a little jingle so imprinted in my mind from when I was a kid back in the mid-70s. It's from an old Burger King TV commercial, and it said something like this, Have it your way at Burger King. I'll include a link to that, a version of it at least, in the D Group website if you wanted to check that old cheesy commercial out. But basically, here's how it goes. A family walks into the Burger King, and the cashier is more than happy to assure them that any way you want to order your Whopper, you can have it your way. And that's what we've come to expect out of life. I mean, certainly, consumerism manifests itself in our purchasing power, especially here in the wealthy West. The vast amount of choices we have at our disposal to buy just about anything we want to suit our fancy, it's amazing. I mean, have you ever seen the salsa aisle down at the grocery store, especially here in Texas? How about even simple things like toothbrushes? I mean, you go in, how, how do you even decide where to start? But the broader implication of consumerism is that we've come to actually believe its promise of having it our way in every single part of our lives. And so this makes it really tough when we hear his call. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to give up getting your own way. (laughs) No offense, Burger King, but I think I'll trust the King of Kings on this one. How can we forget the story of the rich young guy that approaches Jesus to inquire how he might have eternal life? Variations of this story are in all four Gospels. And so first Jesus answers the young guy by telling him to keep the commandments. The young guy's countenance starts to glow as he responds, I've kept them from my youth. And then Jesus says, oh, and there's one thing left. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. Here's how Pastor Peterson conveys the somber reaction. He says, the man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. You see, he was wrapped up. He was burdened or weighed down by his attachment to his possessions. He was encumbered. Now certainly consumerism and its close cousin, materialism, are not the only things we hold on to so tightly. They're not the only encumbrances we have in our lives, but Jesus had so much to say about them that Unfortunately, we got to press the issue a bit further, as uncomfortable as it may be. In Matthew 13, in one of his many kingdom parables, Jesus talks about people who hear of the kingdom news and what happens afterwards he illustrates this sharing of the kingdom gospel message as sowing seeds. Of course, some don't receive it at all. Some hear it and may even like what they hear, but it doesn't take root. But look at this third category of people who hear the kingdom message. This is from Matthew 13:22. Now the one sown among the thorns or the weeds, this is the one who hears the word or this kingdom message, but the worries of this age... And the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And once again, we see this image of an encumbered life, one where many of us absolutely buy into the kingdom promises of Jesus, but we don't take the necessary measures to loosen and unhook ourselves from our previous way of thinking and living, and thus it holds us in its grip, even strangling out the fruitfulness. And what's the stranglehold here in this parable? Which is it? He says, worries of this life and the lure of wealth can keep us from going all in with Jesus. Worries of this age or worries of this life, as it might say in your translation. I mean, how about it? Do you know what Jesus is talking about? Have you got any worries in this life? Do you feel anxiety? Now, the worries he's talking about here are the ones that are related to needing to have your own way. Or the ones that come from striving to attain wealth or status or approval from others. Those worries are sure to choke out the true kingdom message from taking root and becoming fruitful. Now we're going to come back to Matthew 13 in a minute. But now, over in Matthew 6, he sums all this up so directly in his manifesto message on the mount. He's challenging us about all our fussing and worrying about what to wear, how we look, and even what we'll eat. And he tells us in no uncertain terms that life in the kingdom, where you live under the ever-present reign of the loving care of the Father, we can leave all of that behind and simply place our confidence in Christ and join him in his kingdom revolution. This has been another one of our primary themes in this series, hasn't it? The Disciples' Priority. Matthew six thirty three seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's saying, unshackle yourself. Shake off those heavy bands of the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. And listen to this powerful paraphrase one more time. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. That's the kingdom right there. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And what we have here is the stark contrast between the powerful vision of kingdom living that Jesus presents and the weights of this life that have us encumbered and hold us back from fully entering into that vision. So here we are stuck in the middle. We are at a critical point of decision. But listen friend, and and this is the positive approach to this major life adjustment. The clearer your vision is for the life you were meant to live, the, the more vivid it is, the more convinced you are that this is the only thing that matters, the more serious you will be, about cutting the ties to everything that's holding you back, laying aside every weight. Now back over in Matthew 13, Jesus gives us a glimpse into the kind of soul that comes to the point of total surrender. it's not one that mourns the loss of what it has had. It's not one that dreads the cost. Rather, it is focused not on what is to be given up, but what is to be gained. This is verse 44. Yet The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. It's a great discovery. To him, it is irresistible. The cost matters not because the way he sees it, he's getting the bargain of a lifetime. Man, I know some oil and gas guys here in the Houston area that would do the same thing for a sure bet on a new and productive field. And then look at the next verse for another illustration. He says in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. You see, these businessmen, they weren't worried about the cost. They were worried about getting the deal. And Jesus says in Luke 14 that there is a price to following him. It's a cost of discipleship. If you really want to follow him, to be his disciples, you'll have to be willing to not just give up your possessions, but you may have to even, get this, hate your family members and even your own life so that you can take up your cross. Now these are often misunderstood words because they seem so dark and harsh. But here's what he's saying to us, that as long as you think anything may really be more valuable than fellowship with Jesus in his kingdom, you cannot learn from him. Unless we see clearly the superiority of what we receive as his students over every other thing that we might value, we cannot succeed in our discipleship to him. This is what it means to lay aside every weight, to loose the chains of your old life, to live the unencumbered life so that you can live the life you were meant to live. In essence, the unencumbered life is to practice the spiritual disciplines of simplicity and frugality. Now to what degree and how far you go with freeing up your time and finances is a matter of personal conviction and should always be determined by prayer. But let me tell you about some of the benefits of living this unencumbered life. Here's what happens when you lay aside all the weight. First of all, the unencumbered life allows you to join in more freely and spontaneously to the right setting activity of Christ. You see, if you're not maxed out financially and schedule-wise, if you're not stressed out and worried, you're more present and available to what God is doing in the moment, wherever you are. God is at work, and because you've slowed down and freed up your life, you can get in on it. Another benefit is you'll have more financial resources for generous living, more time for spiritual practices that bring about a reformation of the heart and time to actually stop to help the ones hurting along the side of the road. You're not living the hurried life. You've discovered a a pace of peace. You're not overcommitted your wallet or your calendar or even your mental energy, and thus you are most often not expended, which leads us to another benefit. The unencumbered life leaves more emotional and spiritual margin to deal with difficult people and the everyday trials of life. This is where agape love comes in and where we are able to count it all joy even when we go through various trials. Essentially, we have a change of perspective. It's his perspective. And as such, another benefit is the unencumbered life is a focused life as it has one primary aim, which is to seek first his kingdom and his rightness. This is all of life discipleship, learning to keep God's agenda first place. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative and God provision. And then lastly, the unencumbered life is the content life, the full of joy and peace life. No more wishing you had more. No more envy. No more feeling like you're missing out. You come to the place where you have enough. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. We like nothing. We have everything we need in him. Paul told Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The writer of Hebrews challenged us, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's not just material contentment. It's having full confidence in the one with whom you are running this race that is set before you. Your strength comes from him. You've taken steps to lay aside the heavy weights. You've slipped on his easy yoke, and you're discovering that the truth that his burden truly is light. Here is call to you one more time. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, friend, can I ask you just one more time? Is there anything that keeps you from going all in? What gets in the way? What weighs you down? What holds you back? Now, the specifics might be different from person to person, but there's some generalities that many of us will be able to identify with. You might be like the rich young leader, holding on tightly to your material possessions. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would probably struggle with this extreme challenge to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. But again, we're not just talking about material weights. I've made a list of potential weights and worries. As you examine your own life, we will most likely identify things that are not on the list that I've made here. It's just meant to spur your thinking but I encourage you to take a look at these from the transcript when you get a chance, but I'll run through them quickly right now. These are some of the weights, some example weights and worries. There are material weights, things we've talked about, consumerism, materialism, things like comparison living, and debt comes into the, into play. There are time-oriented weights where you have overextended time obligations, where you're living a hurried life. Maybe you're participating in excessive entertainment, just wasting time too often. There are relational weights that you might have, things like toxic relationships, or maybe you have a tendency for codependency. There are even religious weights, things like legalism and judgmentalism. Then there are mind-oriented weights where you need to have your own way, needing to control outcomes or needing the approval of others. So take some time to evaluate your life by asking yourself some questions. I provided space in the transcript to work through these, so be sure to download that. First of all, here's a question. What holds me back? In this step, you identify your weights. You may have one or two. You may even have several. And then next comes an actual plan. You ask yourself this question. What do I need to do to shake off those heavy chains? And then when will I do it? And then even another question, how will I do it? If you're married, you may have to do some of this together. Some of these weights, like the burden of debt, they're not things you're going to be able to solve overnight, but the key is to put the plan in motion. And then just trust the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and discernment in developing that plan. The unencumbered life, a life of simplicity and frugality, and we're going to talk even more about it next week as we continue to tr- try and jar loose the old thinking we have about money and finances. But remember, the key is to, re- to remember the, the value of what you're going after, the vision of what you see, the life that you were meant to live, a life in the kingdom of God under the rule and reign of Christ. And listen, friend, the cost of adjusting your life is a bargain compared to the life you get in exchange for it.